The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Well, good morning again. Mark is uh, leading a retreat. Um, so I'm serving again and so happy to be with you and grateful that you, you are willing to come when finally the spring came. My name is Kyoko Katayama and um, um, well, that's enough. So, um, it, today, April 28th, it just happens that today is the exact second anniversary of my husband's death. And many of you heard the stories about being with his dying, and I hope you're not tired of my sharing of the learnings I gleaned from making friends with his dying. At his deathbed, we surrounded him and we thanked him for his gift of life. Holding his hand, tears streaming down my face, I said, Thank you. You helped us heal our family. He had adopted my three children and raised them as his own. And he had very little energy left by then, so he faintly shook his head from side to side, and he said, No, Kyoko. No, Kyoko. We, we did that together. So his last, to me, last words to me were, among many things, a teaching about community and how we never accomplish anything meaningful alone. So I'd like to talk about community today and what it means to take a refuge in the Sangha. And Sangha is translated from Pali as community. Um, my husband gave a lot to the community of common ground. When he was well, he laid the foundation for the center's financial accounting system as the first treasurer when the center became incorporated as a nonprofit, I think about 10 years ago. Is everyone here okay? Okay. Um, and we received so much from the community, especially when he became ill. And through his illness and dying, he and I were held by the community, and that made a difference in a very difficult circumstance that made it bearable. And there's another inspiration to talk about community. About three weeks ago, um, we had Larry Yang here, um, and... Um, he offered um, a weekend of retreat, Dharma talks, and discussions. 
here. How many of you were here when any of them? Ah, okay. You missed, so I'm going to repeat some of the things he said. Um, Larry Young is one of the core teachers of East, East Bay Meditation Center in Oakland, and he's on the Spirit Rock Teachers Council. And he has a special interest in making the Dharma accessible to diverse multicultural communities. And so I was kind of checking on his blog. He has a blog on the Huffington Post. Post. And on the blog, he said that Sangha is always about culture. Now, culture is not a word we hear commonly in a meditation center. In fact, the tendency is to set the notion of culture aside. But as Larry said, culture is one of the doors through which the Buddha's teachings are being transmitted. I think an aspect of the culture is that we easily take it for granted. Unless or until it makes us feel uncomfortable or hurt us. For example, language is an intrinsic part of a culture that most of us who only grew up in English or speak only English take it for granted. If I say, I think you may suffer confusion <laughs> or even some frustration. And I think you'll be glad that I won't continue to talk in Japanese. <laughs> or this very building we are in. It also reflects many aspects of culture. The culture, cultures in transitions from the building materials to the history of the building. I don't know if you know, this building used to be Andy's Diner. It's a, it was a hamburger joint, greasy spoon hamburger joint. And then it became uh, mom and pop um, South, uh, I think, I don't know if it's Thai, Southeast Asian restaurant in the 90s. And now a pristine meditation center with super high-tech AV system that I don't understand. <laughs> so when I thought about ways in which this community is about culture, it just really opened my eyes in new ways. And I became intrigued. The idea of culture as a door to the Dharma. Larry pointed out how the culture of the insight meditation community in the U.S. today itself evolved in the late evolved in the last only 50 years since the founding teachers of insight meditations like Jack Cornfield, uh, Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg came back from Southeast Asia and began teaching vipassana meditation to mostly white middle class young Americans, probably hippies then, in the early 70s. Jack Cornfield wrote, we wanted to offer the powerful practices of insight meditation as simply as possible, without the complications of rituals, robes, chanting, 
and the whole religious tradition of Southeast Asia. So what we think of as Buddhism within the Vipassana community or insight meditation community is but a tributary of the great streams of Buddhism since Buddha's first teaching 2,500 years ago. Not only it is a strand of Buddhism from Asia, it has inevitably adapted to American culture. So I could see Larry's point that culture is the doorway, or a doorway, and whether we like it or not, we have to go through it. I could not benefit from the Dharma until it was transmitted in the language and in the manners I could understand. And as Larry reminded us, the purpose of the door is to walk through it and not to bang your head and not to confuse the door as the Dharma itself. I have primarily thought of Sangha as a community of spiritual fellowship. And when I thought about Sangha as culture, an uneasy feeling came up. Can I really inquire about Sangha as culture and as spiritual practice without challenging my sense of belonging to this community? In order to belong, do I screen certain thoughts, certain truths related to my culture? And in doing so, have I compromised my integrity in some subtle way? I felt like I opened a Pandora's box. And from that Pandora's box, out came other big questions like safety, vulnerability, belonging, sameness, and differences. How can we experience our belonging if we don't feel safe? And what makes a community safe? Larry Young said, and I agreed, especially as a psychotherapist, that we all have the need for safety and feeling at ease in order to deeply explore our place of healing, our joys and our sorrows. That place is vulnerable and tender. A community must have a culture where such tenderness and vulnerability can be safely experienced. As I pondered on these questions, the news of the Boston Marathon bombing pierced my ears. The news hurt. Who would think that a community of runners and their spectators is not safe? Until. Until. An elementary school is, has got to be a safe place. Every Monday, I take my granddaughter to her kindergarten in supposedly safe South Minneapolis neighborhood. But our notion of safe community has been shaken by these news. It's true 
they're extreme examples, and chance of them happening is extremely rare. Still, we are no longer innocent. We understand, each of us in varying remnants of trauma, that one of our children could be dead. One of our sisters, brothers, mothers, fathers, friends could be injured. And if you are a Muslim, no matter how innocent you are, you'd learn to expect a hateful look from some people after such news. Safety is not something that can be guaranteed, not even in a spiritual community, where the teachers and practitioners all aspire to awaken to the Dharma, where the precept training is a regular reminder of no harm. Not only can natural and human-caused disaster happen to any of us, any time, even in this relatively peaceful community, despite our good intentions, we inevitably hurt and are hurt by one another through our misunderstandings and ignorance. If safety cannot be guaranteed, then what is our refuge? It's easy to recite that we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, as we did this morning. How do we deepen our understanding of each of our place, places in this Sangha? In Martin Luther King's word, our beloved community. So the word community comes alive in our heart so the heart can guide us to skillful actions in the community, so we can lessen the inevitable harm we bring to one another. When we do the traditional metta, the loving-kindness meditation, the very first line is, may I, may we, but may all beings be safe and protected from harm. May we be safe <laughs> and protected from harm. When we care about one another, we naturally wish safety from harm to one another. So the sense of safety is essential to our sense of well-being. And also, safety is something we could also take for granted. Yet, how often do we reflect on safety? What makes us safe? What does it mean to be safe as an individual and collectively as a community of increasing diversity everywhere, even at common ground? What makes it safe for some people is that they get to be left alone to come here quietly and just sit and not be bothered by other people. 
And what makes it safe for some people is a warm greeting when they arrive here. Some people come here to get away from their family. Some people come here to be with their family. Some people come here wishing their family were here with them, especially on Sundays. Why make it safe for some people, especially those of us who are marginalized, is to have their attributes, whether it's skin color, gender identification, disability, or whatever, reflected in some way by others. It is hard to have a sense of belonging and safety if you feel like you're the only one. And for some of us, the sense of belonging is more important than sense of safety. They overlap, but they are not identical. Belonging may be really important if you have felt ostracized. And safety, perhaps, is more important for some people who felt beaten and shamed in the past. Or, as many of us, are simply in the habit of being afraid. Alice Walker said this about our fears. We have to own the fears that we have of, of each other. And then in some practical ways, some daily way, figure out how to see people differently than the way we were brought up to. There's a maximum in social science. It goes like this. Did I say maximum? It's, <laughs> it's maxim. I always say maximum. It's a maximum maxim. <laughs> so, maximum, maxim, <laughs> goes like this. In certain ways, every person is like all other people. In certain ways, like some other people, and in other ways, like no other people. All of us want to be safe, but how each of us finds safety varies, dependent on many things shaped by causes and conditions of personal and cultural history. And, importantly, how each person finds their resiliency to survive difficulties and contribute to her safety and that of the community is unique. Nobody has the exact same makeup as you. Nobody has the exact same causes and conditions as you. Considering such complexities, it's actually amazing how each of us daily navigate our way through similarities and differences, needs, aspirations. Right here, right now, in this moment, we are a community with a shared desire to awaken to the Dharma through practice, but if I can go inside your brain and read 
read each of your minds, <laughs> there will be a hundred different thoughts happening. Just as emotion is a universal human experience, but how and when it is expressed varies with each person. We are so alike, yet how each of our lives unfolds in a particular way is completely unique. So I'm halfway through my Dharma talk, and I think I'm getting too serious and too heavy. And I think one of the things that help with belonging and safety is humor. Now, the funniest thing about me is I have no sense of humor. <laughs> uh, but I can get some help. Here's a quote. Quote by Zora Neale Hurston. It seems to me that trying to live without friends is like milking a bear to get cream for your morning coffee. <laughs> it's a whole lot of trouble and then not worth much after you get it. <laughs> Ram Dass at, um, at one point created um, a charitable foundation and sometimes the discussion at the board table gets so serious and so heavy. So someone put um, a Groucho Marx mask, you know, with the bushy eyebrows, big nose, glasses, and whenever the talk got too heavy, someone would put on that mask, <laughs> and everybody laughs. And when we can laugh, we know we've regained a larger perspective. So I was thinking, person without any sense of humor, um, have you ever realized when you laugh, it's all out breath? We go, ha, 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 right? And then, and then there's the release. You, you relieve something, ha, 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 something that got too tight. And after the exhale of ha, 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 we usually go, ha, 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 right? Now, have you ever tried that in reverse? So you go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and if, if you do that in reverse, it looks like a panic attack. <laughs> so humor is very important, the lightness. So, so we meditate, we come here to this spiritual community, because to a varying degree, we all know, we all sense that we need one another. We need one another's eyes and hearts to awaken. As surely as we need food and shelter to survive. We cannot underestimate the importance of the awakening we bring to one another. Even if we come here to just sit and hardly interact with anyone, it's not the same as sitting alone. I think most of us have the experience of the power of sitting quietly with the eyes closed, not seeing anyone, with the whole community. There is a power there. 
We did that this morning. You know it's not the same. Each person who comes becomes an integral part of the community. Each of your presence, each of your practice matters. Not just to you, but to one one another, to the community. Please remember that you matter. Your practice matters. What other practice may deepen our understanding of our beloved Sangha? The Vietnamese Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh coined the term interbeing to represent the Buddhist principle of impermanence and no self-characteristic, which revealed the interconnectedness of all beings. This simple term of interbeing actually succinctly reflects the profound Buddhist teaching of dependent co-arising. In a book called Sounding My Heart, Thich Nhat Hanh talks of a Zen master who uttered, in this speck of dust, if this speck of dust did not exist, the entire universe could not exist. Thich Nhat Hanh says, when we deeply penetrate the principle of interdependence, we see that this sense of separateness is false. Each object is composed of and contains all others. We are made of each other. We are made of stars. He said, there is no phenomena in the universe that does not intimately concern us from a pebble resting at the bottom of the ocean to the movement of a galaxy millions of light years away. Martin Luther King, who was a friend of Thich Nhat Hanh, had a similar understanding. He said, We are caught in the inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny, whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. From that understanding, we can also say that there is no phenomena in each of us in the community that does not intimately concern us. Of course, this is a topic that calls for much longer talk. But for the time being, I wanted to introduce the principle of interbeing and the caring for each other and caring for the community is our practice for awakening. Even in Minnesota, it's not about being nice. Ananda asked the Buddha, spiritual fellowship must be at least half of spiritual life. And the Buddha said, no, Ananda. It is all of life. Have you ever thought about even the precept training is meaningless if you lived alone on a desert island? There is no need even for precept. The principle 
The principle of interbeing brings deeper and wider understanding to the practice of dana, generosity. When we, th- when we think of dana, sometimes we think of it as giving something in exchange. You give me this, and I give you that. And the underlying assumption is that what we have to give is finite, because we often associate it with money. We kind of think of it like a pie, and we have to slice it carefully, because it could run out. It's an important consideration, and we all need to responsibly steward our finite material resources. And when we understand how we inter-be or inter-are, we also understand when we give, in the very act of giving, we receive. From the perspective of interbeing, where where you are in me and I am of you, in the infinite net of interconnectedness, everything is changing and cycling without an end, and a single act of generosity reverberates like a widening circle of ripples. Then we can see that generosity doesn't get limited by monetary giving. It could be a smile. It could be picking up a trash that someone dropped. It could be letting someone you know from your heart how much you appreciate that person. It could be saying, I love you. Or it could be saying, I let you go. It could be just silently bearing witness. It could be telling difficult truth. Deep listening is an act of generosity. I invite you to explore all the ways you receive when you give in this kind of spirit of generosity, where giving becomes not letting go, but as letting in the truth in the community of interbeing. Let's talk about some other possible practice for this beloved Sangha. Deep listening. It's an important skill to cultivate in the community. Deep listening is to calm the mind for an attuned and attentive listening. Calm the mind for attuned and attentive listening. Moving beyond the ego's persistent desire to put the focus on the self. Breathe deeply and listen to not just the words but also the spirit of the speaker. Now, 
Now, I don't want to end this talk on community without acknowledging that community life is not always easy. There are ambiguities in our roles, and there are misunderstandings and projections we make. Despite our good intentions, we hurt one another. Jack Cornfield wrote, If we expect community relationships to be ideal, spiritual, friendly, and enlightened, we are seeking what we can't even expect of our own minds. To want the company of others without suffering is unrealistic. In a wide spiritual community, we acknowledge our difficulties and choose to help one another anyway. The foolishness of others, the frustration, blame, and conflict we encounter, the struggle and betrayal can all be met with a bow. They come to us as Mara came to the Buddha to awaken us to compassion yet again. And I would add to deeper acceptance of our humanity and practice of forgiveness. May we find forgiveness for the inevitable harms we bring to one another. May we find forgiveness to inevitable harm or hurt we cause one another. So at the meeting on Sunday with Larry Young, at the end of the big circle we made here, we did the string ceremony. It's, um, do you know it's just a peculiar to Theravadan, the string ceremony? Okay. So, so we, we, um, so he passed this string to all the participants, and the string was cut about this big, and, and the string is, um, kind of dedication for taking refuge in the Buddha Dharma Sangha. So we made three knots in the string representing Buddha Dharma Sangha, and then we tied it for person next to one another. So, um, and uh, the string he brought, Larry brought, was in rainbow colors. And um, he said it represents all the many colors of the monk's robes. So, to take a refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, to me, means to take refuge in the possibility of awakening, to be on the path of truth, and to trust in the love that is unconditioned and infinite. To take refuge in the possibility of awakening, to be on the path of truth, and to trust in the love that is unconditioned and infinite. This is the only safety that I can ultimately count on. And it makes me brave in the face of tragedy, tragedies and hardships, 
and it makes me humble in the face of exuberance. Because everything that happens becomes an opportunity for awakening. I am safe even in the face of death. And all this is possible because you are here. And I wanted to end my talk with this poem by Hafiz. And when the talk is over, and as we get up, I would like you to look at each other's in your eyes, and you see why. With the, the title of the poem is With That Moon Language. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, Love me. Of course you do not do that out loud. Otherwise, someone will call the cops. <laughs> Still, though, think about this. This great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying, with that sweet moon language, what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying, with that sweet moon language, what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. So we have about three minutes, comments, questions. Sure. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me, love me. Of course you do not do this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this, this great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying, with that sweet moon language, what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. I guess we are ready for the kids. <laughs> talk about the the sense of community there there are mornings when I get here a few minutes before and, and there may be four or five or just, make sure can you all hear there may be just a, a few of us in here um, who are sitting and I'll close my eyes and 
um, then when whichever teacher is at the front sort of says, okay, everybody, good morning, and I open my eyes and the room is full, um, that's a sense, that's the immediate sense of community that I get from this song. I'm here by myself, and then I open and you are all here. It's really amazing. Yes. What does Dhamma mean? Dhamma? Dhamma means many things, but I think the above all Dhamma really means seeing things as they are. And it sounds so simple, but so profound to be able to see things as they are, because most of the time we're projecting and projecting. And I think part of the meditation practice of calming our mind is so we are not just seeing through the lens of our ego, but see really things as they are, so then we can really begin to see it's sort of embodied understanding of impermanence, of no-self of the nature of suffering, of seeing who we really are. They're here? Okay. Okay. Breathing in, breathing out. Tignahan's Love Village song. I thought that would be perfect for today. Page 44. Okay. Breathing in. Breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, I am blooming as a flower, I am fresh as the dew, I am for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.